Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Let us pray. Father God, we just come to you today. Just thank you for the opportunity to be in your presence. Uh, thank you for your grace and mercy, Lord. Um, just thank you for um, just the op- opportunity to learn and grow. Uh, just pray that we, we do grow. We are not stagnant and we continue to mature. Father God, just um, really pray for, as the school is about to start and has started for, for some, uh, Lord, just pray for, just for your protection over, over the kids and teachers and principals, um, where all, all our kids are spread out, um, as well as just, just right here at Frost Elementary, Lord. Um, just uh, just thank you for your joy that you bring us, knowing that um, you are always there, that, uh, regardless of the good days and the bad, that, um, that you bring us joy. Um, thank you for that, Lord, and um, in, your, in your name we pray. Amen. Brother, thank you. Felt like sound effects, like we were getting in deep right away. I don't even know what to do with that right now. All right. Hey, uh, so we are going to be in Psalm 100 as we get there and as you turn there. Let me, I, I feel a little bit of confirmation to... Uh, do something I felt that I needed to do earlier in the week, uh, and then someone I was talking to earlier uh, just kind of confirmed it for me. They, I've gotten more feedback over the last two sermons than maybe the last two years of sermons, um, and, and, and I think the reason why is because it's very practical, but that's not the feedback I've been getting. The feedback I've been getting is, I mean, it's just really real, and it's just really authentic, and we just really appreciate that. Um, hey, I appreciate you appreciating that. It is a struggle for, a, uh, for someone like me to tell you about failures every week. Uh, but the reason why I tell you about more failures than I do successes, this is not a part of the sermon, by the way, this is sermon number one, okay? Sometimes we learn in substance, and then sometimes we learn in form. I'm telling you why, the form in which why I'm doing this, why I'm preaching this way. And we will have a little bit less of this today, but um, this is like pre-sermon stuff. So I'm, I'm telling you all this because um, sometimes it's easy for us, and I think we're used to telling stories of success, we're used to hearing preachers tell stories of success, and therefore we then follow or try to live up to that standard. Um, just like success is not the standard, my failure is not the standard, um, and therefore your success is not the standard. So sometimes when someone stands up and they give you a lot of failure, a lot of attempting to do things but still figuring it out, you can then go, man, I'm not that bad. And that also is not the point of, of me sharing in failure. Uh, it's not, the, the, the point of me sharing is not so that you can see how good or bad I am, because I'm not the standard. And the point of me sharing is also uh, not that you can think that you're either good or bad, because you're not the standard. And so we tell these stories to illuminate the Scriptures in such a way that Jesus might be made known. So that he, we can look to Him as the standard uh, by which we should measure ourselves in our goodness. And then when we do that, we go, yeah, I got nothing. Instead, I need grace over and over and over again. It's why we say we are a gospel-centered church. Because we start out and live in 
This deep need for grace. This deep need for forgiveness. This deep dependence upon the Spirit to show us, counsel us, comfort us, etc., etc. So I just felt the need to kind of give a pre-sermon. Here's why I give so much practical, uh, or I've been trying to give so much practical failure, really, attempting and just like picking myself up and just keep going, okay? So I'm just letting you guys know that that's kind of the heart behind why we preach the way we preach. We good? All right, now the sermon starts. Okay, that was pre-sermon. Hey, so we are uh, continuing on in our marks of maturity. Uh, we have about five weeks in that. This is right smack dab in the middle of those five weeks. We talk about what does it look like for Christians to be following Jesus, for us to actually be kind of hitting some marks uh, where we can measure ourselves and go, I feel like I'm starting to grow in these areas. That, that maturity, I've said this almost every week, maturity is heaven. But we can be maturing along the way as we get there. And so as we are maturing, uh, what are some markers that we can kind of look at and go, I don't know if I'm doing this, but this is helpful for me to go, okay, this is what it looks like to start maturing in the faith. One of those, the first one was that we would train ourselves for godliness. In 1 Timothy 4, he says, train yourself. It is up to you to own your path of growth. And then last week in 1 Timothy 4, we looked at the call to not neglect our gift. And, and right partnered with not neglecting our gift is this charge and command to practice all these things, to immerse ourselves so that all may see our progress. So it's not just about owning, it's also practicing. Very practical, very get after it, very do, do, do. And it would be easy for me to kind of come alongside those and put another practical one in there, but I just sense the need to stop. Because if you're anything like me, I start to achieve and I start to get better and I start to get more efficient. And I start to think that my goodness is based on all those things instead of resting. Instead of truly finding my identity in what God has done for me Instead of the things that I think I need to be doing for God, like, oh, I'm going to read my Bible and I'm going to get that read scripture app and I'm going to get a prayer calendar and I'm going to do all these different things. And if we're not careful, all of a sudden, we don't measure ourselves by our failures anymore. Like I said, we start to measure ourselves by our successes and we start going, I feel really good this week. And that's an equal trap, right? Because really our goodness is dependent upon the gifts that we have in Jesus. And so the problem though, in all of that, if I wanted to just talk about our rest, that we would find our rest in God. Out of Hebrews 4, had this beautiful sermon kind of worked out where he talks about strive to enter God's rest. I couldn't go there this week because I felt like we were assuming too much about ourselves. Assuming that we would actually trust what God's Word says when we strive to enter His rest. I was reminded in 1 Timothy 4, right in the middle of those two sermons that we did, was this call for Paul, from Paul to Timothy, which says, hey, this, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. It's almost as if to say, hey, I know you're in charge, Timothy, but I also know that you struggle with trusting that this is good. Because as we enter into today, we're not going to talk about finding our rest in God. I'm going to talk about finding our identity in Christ, although that's really where I thought we were headed. Before we get to that, we've got to ask ourselves a really big question. Do we trust God? Do we trust Him and take Him at His word? 
So that when we, when we read these things in the scriptures of, of taking charge of your own path of growth, of, of using your gifts, of being found in Christ, do we trust that? Now there are days and there are moments where we will fail to trust that. We will, we will cling on to some control along the way. But do we really trust Him? Another way of saying, do we trust Him? Do we really submit to God's Word? Is the Bible truly our authority? Is God's Word truly the thing that lays itself over us in practice, in faith, in all things? Have we taken a marriage vow with God that we say for better or for worse, in sickness and in health, for richer or for poor, whatever it is, Lord, I trust You. Is that where we are? Is that who we are? I cannot assume that we trust Him or submit to Him, much less that we would find joy in trusting Him or submitting to Him. And so we need to back up and go, man, we just need to get to this. As we look at our third mark of maturity, of trusting God, do we really trust Him? Do we trust Him when in the lighter things, like when we're in a hurry, but we hit a red light? Do we trust Him in that moment that, that perhaps there's a wreck ahead or maybe someone was about to run a red light the other way do we trust him do we trust him when we were promised one job but we never get that call back do we trust him when our kids don't ever do what we ask them to do lord help us or or, or do we do we trust him when the dream of retirement crashes down when your health begins to fail all that travel you saved up for never happens. Do you trust Him when the dream of having a child is yet met with infertility or miscarriage? Do you trust Him when your hope of reconciling with a parent was lost because they all of a sudden passed away? Do we trust Him when we were abused? Do we trust Him when we were neglected? Do we trust Him? It's a heavier conversation today than the last two weeks a little less practical, a little bit more theological. What I'm asking you to do is really impossible if we do not know a couple of things that Psalm 100 lays out for us so beautifully and so simply. We're going to get to those in just a second. So as we, as we look at these marks of maturity, those who are setting the pace towards maturity in, the Christian, in Christian life are those that have endured all that life has given them. All that life has thrown at them. And they still sing these songs of goodness. They have seen life at its worst and they have trusted God to do His best. Those are the ones that go before us in maturity and we go, okay, we need to, we need to follow that. And I'm just going to preface our, our Scripture again by saying this. I mean, this trusting God, isn't this the heart of what it means to be a believer? When we believe in something, we trust it to be true. Isn't this the heart of what a believer really is? And this is going to be profound, a profound statement. You might want to write this in your notes. A believer is someone who believes in something. Very profound. I mean, this is like over-the-top stuff. You might need to, I'll just slow it down and say it again. A believer is someone who believes in something. But someone who believes in God isn't just affirm that He exists with our minds. And doesn't just affirm that He's a true and real being. It just doesn't affirm that Jesus was a real God that lived one day. But a believer, someone who follows Jesus, is someone who has entrusted their heart to Him. 
the thick and thin. So I want to invite you to trust today. No matter where you are in this continuum, I want to invite you to trust. Why? Well, let me read Psalm 100, 1 to 3. Fascinating Psalm. I'll want to read it again. We've already read it now. This will be maybe the third or fourth time that we've really read this. Because I want us to see this first and foremost. Why should we trust in God? First of all, is this because God is sovereign. And he is either absolutely sovereign or he is not sovereign at all. That's the truth. He's either absolutely sovereign or he's not sovereign at all. So he's over, over all things or he's not over much at all. Psalm 100, 1 to 3. I don't know about you, but there's a little, there's a little uh, all caps thing. It says, a psalm for giving thanks. And we say, oh, make a joyful noise to the Lord. All the earth serve with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. It's a great call to worship. That's why we did it today. Come on into His presence. Let's sing to Him. He's great. He's worthy of just a joyful noise. Why? And when we do these things, we shall know that the Lord, He is God. Not a king, not a pastor, not you. Oh, the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. For we are His people and the sheep of His Pastor, do you see the profound statement of why He is worthy of our trust, of us entrusting our hearts to King Jesus? Because the Lord, He is God. There is no more profound and yet simple statement in the Bible about the character of who God is. He is God. A great statement for us to be wrapped up in today. So the reason why God is worthy of of thankful, joyful praise is because He is God. He sits enthroned above all things. Yes, He is sovereign over the good, over the bad, over the ugly. God reigns supreme over all things. And I want to just say something. This used to be one of the most trusted trusted doctrines of the faith that God would be sovereign over all things because it is all over the Bible. But somehow in our country and in this phase of the world's formation, we find ourselves on the other end of people that used to trust in Him long ago. And now we've come to the point where we go, we kind of trust Him. We kind of think He's in control of all things. He's definitely in control of the really good things. But in the bad stuff, I don't know that He's really in control. And so what ends up happening is that we end up almost committing some treason against King Jesus by not faithfully believing that He too is also working the evil out, the suffering out, for His great purposes. That He's not taking a bat seat in those moments. No, what we would find in the book of Jonah, what we would find in the Gospels, is that when the storms hit, He may send the storm. So that the disciples, the followers, might believe and continue to trust and see some things about Him that we would have never seen any other way. Isn't it worth it if we go through some suffering, if He's orchestrating the suffering, ordaining the suffering, so that we might find Jesus? So that we might find the goodness, the sovereignty, the in-controlness of God? Is it, is, it, is it worth it, friends? And some of us are maybe going, I don't know. I don't know if I want to go through any of that. But, but if we would just taste and see that the Lord, not only is He good, but He is God. He's in control. 
He's ordaining these things. The problem here is that we have diminished and dismissed the idea that God is sovereign over all things. And, and, and I'm going to say to you that it is something to affirm and embrace. I don't know how people get through life without understanding that Jesus is in control of all things. Of all things. I don't know how people go through suffering or disappointment or whatever circumstance we're about to hit into this week with school and everything else. I don't know how. It is the great privilege and the great joy of every believer to continue to believe that Jesus is in control of it all. That's what we mean when we talk about that He is sovereign over all things. Not just the good stuff. See, the problem is that we've turned Jesus into a personal butler. And we, we, we call upon His name. This is what we think God's sovereignty means. We call upon His name to do whatever we need Him to do, whenever we need Him to do it, with whatever portion we need it in. And then when He doesn't show up, what do we do? In, in, the, in the quiet moments, where are you, Lord? What are you doing, oh God? And the, it's good to ask those questions. The psalmist, Psalm 13, will tell you it's good to ask those questions. But it's not good to camp out there. It's good to journey through that, that, that wilderness of where are you? What are you doing? Why are you doing this? But it's also better to end in the destination. Oh, but you're good. Whatever it is, I trust you. See, we've turned him into someone who just does what we need it, when we need it, with whatever measure we need it in. And in the biblical definition that I love, it is the sovereignty of God that God's absolute right to do all things according to His own good pleasure. Absolute right to do all things according to His own pleasure. See, the first one, Jesus as butler leads to disappointment, but realizing that God will do whatever He pleases leads to our delight. Oh, this is up to you. Okay, you got something else planned. My bad. My bad. I'll follow you. We'll see. This isn't what I designed, but okay, let's go. Because we trust. Let me read you some Bible verses to help us get our minds around this. King David, right when he was handing over the, king, the kingdom to his son Solomon, probably one of the most um, powerful people on the earth at the time, 1 Chronicles 29.11 would say this. This is what David says. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Is that the, is that the song in our hearts, friends? That, that when his life is coming down to an end and he looks back and he goes, oh, it's all yours. This is about to get greater with my son who's about to build a temple and have riches and wisdom beyond all knowledge. But it's all yours. Then Psalm 115 verse 3 says, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Great quote I found this week was from A.W. Pink great pastor from the last century, and he says this about God's sovereignty. He wrote a book on God's sovereignty. When he defines it, he defines it like this. When we say that God is sovereign, we affirm His right to govern the universe which He made for His own glory, just as He pleases. We affirm that He is under no rule. He is under no law outside of His own will and nature. Friends, this is the difficult part about the sovereignty of God. He is not bound to what we think He should do. He is only bound to Himself. 
to his own will, to his own nature, that God is a law unto himself, and that he is under no obligation to give an account of his matters to any. You read the book of Job lately? I'm going to go with probably not. Just read like the first two chapters and then go to like chapter 38. And that's all you, I mean like, and then there's a bunch of conversation in the middle. But for like chapters one and two and then like Job 38 through like 42 is the end of the book. And, and God just shows up in, in power and says, Job, where were you, my bro, when I put all this into order? You can't do anything without me. I mean, it is, it is God showing up in might, and he's, but he's under no obligation to answer why. Why, Job? And I, I can guarantee you in Job is why. What is going on? Are you not a just God? Of course he is. But he's under no obligation to explain himself to us because he is doing something greater than we will ever know. And that is where we go to the second point. See, coupled with God's sovereignty, right? Coupled up with that is this beautiful good news that he is providential. Coupled up with sovereignty is God's providence. Here it is. Not only that know that the Lord, He is God in verse 3, the second part of verse 3, it is He who made us. We're His. That's, that's God's providence. His, His special care for His people to give us what we need for the journey. That's God's providence that He's providing for you. Yes, He's doing all things and He's also going to provide for you what you need in whatever moment you find yourself in. Sovereign, provident. So you have heard it said that God does or allows all things for His own glory and our good. And I would add to that and affirm that that God is ordaining all things to make us His people. Look at verse 3 again. Don't pull it down. It is He who made us and we are His. He, he, also, he made us. He formed us. And we are continuing to be His. He's making us. So that in His sovereignty, He brought us into the fold like sheep into a pasture where we needed a shepherd. And then all of a sudden, He says, this shepherd is going to care for your needs. So no matter what circumstances we head into, we have to know not only is He in control, but He's providing something for us in that, in that circumstance. God's infinite care and supreme wisdom ordains for us that God, only, God not only is reigning above all things and doing what He pleases, but what He pleases is to provide for His people. See, like last two weeks, super practical. This week, a little bit up there. Let's just, let's just keep going and see what we can grab up here and pull down for our lives, okay? This is worth it. This is worth the journey as we look into our marks of maturity. This is worth it. If we can just see and all of a sudden start to rest in. See, this is where rest comes from. Resting that God's sovereign and He's providing for us. The Heidelberg Confession, if you don't know what that is, it's just it's, 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 it's a Heidelberg Catechism, rather. It's the way that the early church would educate its followers. In question 27, the way that it would do it is it would ask questions and the follower would then answer with answers. So the question is there, but this answer is there. Basically, what is, what is God's providence? So this is what the Heidelberg Catechism says. The Almighty and everywhere present power of God, whereby as it were by His hand, He still upholds heaven and earth with all creatures, 
Listen to this now. It's not going to be on the screen, but just listen. And God so governs them that herbs and grass, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, meat and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, yea, all things come not by chance, but by His fatherly hand. All things then come from a a caring Father's hand of not just a sovereign control, but caring providence to give us all we need for the journey towards maturity, towards thinking and feeling and believing and loving like Jesus. I mean, this is the story of the Bible. God's not only in control of all things, but that God is working all things so that we might be cared for. Psalm 64, verse 8 says, But now, O Lord, You are our Father. We are the clay, and You are our potter. For we are all the work of Your hand. And if it, if it scares you to entrust your lump of clay to this potter, which I'm going to tell you right now, it, it probably should. Because we're talking about all things, right? All good, all, all, all terrible, all easy, all difficult, all, all things. So if we, if we are scared to entrust our lives, our lump of clay, to this potter who, who will then mold whatever He wills out of it, out of His own good pleasure, for our own good, but for ultimately His glory. If we're scared of that, let me also read for you Luke 12, right at the end when Jesus is talking about, basically it's the Sermon on the Mount, and He's talking about uh, sparrows and lilies and God's providence over His people. Luke 12, 32 says, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. What a beautiful reality that God is, is providing for you. That's His good pleasure. We don't have to be afraid of this Father. That's His good pleasure to be, to be generous to His kids. Fear not. Fear not, for God is good. Come with me now to verse 4. See, not only is the Lord God, and not only is He sovereign, He's also providing for you, but if we can just entrust ourselves to this God who's in control of all things and providing for you. See, we can't do that until we know His character. And His character is in verse 5. For the Lord is good. He's good. His steadfast love, it endures all of your disobedience. His steadfast love endures all of our failure. His steadfast love endures all of our successes that we claim as our own. It endures. His steadfast love endures forever. And His steadfast love to all generations. It will never run short. He will never be outdone in generosity. You'll never get to the gas tank of God's grace and love and be like, okay, well, the little yellow bag is over God's grace and love and there's none here. It'll never happen. Fear not, for God is good. I'm going to destroy some Hobby Lobby art real quick. Jeremiah 29.11. You got it on your wall. Don't lie. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. You got it? Somebody just like graduated and that's what, that's what they got. They got a little mug with that on it. Got a little hat with that on it. A shirt. A picture. You can put it in your dorm room. 
For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, and plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Broader context of Jeremiah 29 is he is sending them into exile. Let me just read for you what that looked like for them. I'm going to pull this up on the screen, and I'm going to look for it in my Bible while he pulls it up. It's Jeremiah, a little bit further, 18. Jeremiah 18. Verse 6 through 11. Remember, I know the plans I have for you. Plans for welfare and not for evil. Before that, he says this to Jeremiah, to his people. Verse 5, Then the word of the Lord came to me. Chapter 18 of Jeremiah, verse 6 now. O house of Israel. This is the Lord talking to Jeremiah. Now going to give this message to Israel. O house of Israel. O God's people. can Can I not do with you as the potter has done? Declares the Lord. Behold, like, a, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. If at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it, and if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do to it. You see in God's character? He intends to do disaster to some places. If they turn from evil, he will relent. He is gracious. Verse 9, And if at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will build it and plant it, and if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will relent of the good that I had intended to do to it. Verse 11, Now therefore, this is the hard part, Now therefore say to the men of Judah, the, the southern kingdom and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am shaping disaster against you and devising a plan against you. Return. Look at God's heart. Look at God's heart. Return. Everyone from His evil way and amend your ways and your deeds. God's heart for us is that we would return. And sometimes, sometimes, not all the time, Sin doesn't have something to do with this all the time, so don't hear me say A plus B equals C. Don't. He wants us to return, and sometimes He will ordain things to come against us so that we don't find ourselves self-dependent without God. That's the greater curse, is to be successful and yet without any dependence upon Jesus. That's the great temptation of our day and our time in the suburbs is that we would be successful without Jesus. God is saying, oh, if that's you, I want nothing more for you than to return to me and I will do whatever it takes to capture your heart. I love you far too much for you to be so easily, so easily satisfied. And so we have to all of a sudden rearrange our idea of good. We have to rearrange what not evil, not for evil looks like. Because now all of a sudden it's not for comfort. (laughs) If it was for comfort, he would have left him alone. It's for something else. 
We've got to rearrange our good when he says that all things work together for our good. We've got to understand that, that our definition may not line up with God's definition. Our definition of good may be happiness apart from trials, but God's definition of good is joy through trials. James 1, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Our good may find ourselves with the definition of it is the absence of trouble. But God's good is that peace, you may have peace in the midst of trouble. John 16, 33. I've said these things to you, Jesus would say at the end of his life, that in me you may have peace. For in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. See, our definition of good may be the absence of suffering, but God's definition of good is that He is present in the suffering. Psalm 23, verse 4, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you're here. My shepherd's here. He's going to lead me through this. He's providing something for me. He's doing something for me. He's, he's orchestrating this evil somehow without being held accountable for evil, but yet working the way this world is, this fallen world, for His care for us. That's a scary reality, y'all. I'll ask us again. Do we trust Him? See, what we have to understand is that Psalm 100, if I go back over there. Psalm 100 is the only psalm in 150 psalms that is labeled as a psalm for giving thanks. How can we give thanks in this? Because God is sovereign. Because God is providential. He is caring for you like a shepherd over his sheep, and he wants them to live. See, isn't the great reality in this is that, that, that his goodness fuels our gratitude? See, this is, this is the great example of this is the cross, is it not? That in Jesus' pursuit of the cross, we, we sang that Jesus, your face was set, set for the cross, purposed to suffer and die for us. The, the most heinous suffering there ever was was ordained and orchestrated by the Father onto the Son to provide for His people. That's you and me. I see some of y'all nodding, but y'all better turn Pentecostal in here right quick. That's the reality, right? That, that this suffering was so ordained and so perfected for us caring, providing this beautiful sacrifice that we could never obtain on our own so that we might live. Yes, we can trust Him. Why? Because His past, His history, God's history proves for us that He's trustworthy. Whatever He's done in the past, that's why we read in the Old Testament, hey, set up a marker right here, set up some stones right here to remember God's faithfulness. You can look back in your life and go, can I trust Him for this? Mm, yeah. And if this is uncertain, friends, if this is uncertain, this story, the story of, of whatever it is, maybe it's a neglect, maybe it's an abusive dad, maybe it's, maybe it's abusive somehow, or abuse somehow, whatever that is, if that 
turns your thought processes to anything other than what the scriptures say of his goodness and providence. Can I, can I lean? Can I ask you to lean in and trust this over whatever that was? That's a hard ask, but I'm going to ask you to do it because I think God asks us to do it. See, if we can trust in the providence and the care of God and the goodness of God in the midst of the dark, there will be deep, abiding fruit as a result that, of that kind of trust and submission into God. We will have a deep gratitude in all of us who can realize that God is God and God is good. This deep gratitude will all of a sudden start to show itself as we give, truly give thanks in all circumstances. We will trust and submit to God as King, which will bring us gratitude because we no longer strike things up to luck or chance, but to God's caring providence. Why did I get that parking lot? Oh man, I must have got lucky. Maybe it was God's providence for you. Would you give God thanks for that beautiful parking space? Like in the little things, would we? Or maybe there's no parking space, you got to go park at the back. Maybe once you get a little exercise and you don't want to do it. You go to the back, oh, thank you, Lord. We can have gratitude, we have peace because we know God is controlling everything and He is caring for me with good. We can have joy. I mean, how else can we have abiding joy than to trust that God is doing something greater through the hardest of circumstances? See, if we know His character to be good, and we know His care to be attentive, then we can have joy. But this is harder than it seems. Will you trust your government to be governed by God's sovereign and providential hand, whether the carpet in the White House is red or blue? Will you trust when your pastors and your elders make hard decisions that you don't agree with, and yet God has brought you to a place of trust, of being shepherded through disagreements for our maturity. Will you trust that God is up to some providential good? Will you trust that God knows more about life than you? Will you trust that when He tells you to live a certain way, like dying to yourself so that you might live and you might give that life to others, will you trust Him? Will you trust Him in the midst of deep suffering that God is working a good in you that you cannot and perhaps would not understand? But because it comes from the good, caring, providential hand of God, can you trust Him? And will you? Will you trust Him when your marriage runs through a long season of not so happily ever after? Or will you give in the temptation that you've fallen out of love and start to dabble, start to make one bad decision after another until there's no turning back? Will you trust Him? Will you trust Him when at work when an opportunity to share the Gospel arises but it might cost you your job? Will you, will you trust Him? So do you. Will you trust God to provide what is needed as you live all of life for Him? No matter the cost, no matter the comfort, no matter the inconvenience, but no matter what it costs you in control, will we trust Him? He is worthy of a yes. And so here's what's happening. All of us are thinking about either some season of suffering in our lives and we're stuck there or we're thinking about this season of 
disobedience, and we're stuck there. May I, may I call you to the cross? May I call you to the place where you may find your rest? May I call you to the place where you may find your identity, which is not found in whatever story that you may have had that is maybe not so glorious? not found in that. It's also not found in your performance, whether it's really good. You think you're really good and you're just knocking it out of the park. I'm really not that bad. I only say cuss words and that's kind of my thing and that's it. Maybe that's you. Or maybe it's just like, I can't get my life together, like at all. I'm just still stuck in whatever sin that I've been dabbling in for 20 years. I just can't get it together. May I call you to the place of forgiveness? May I call you to the place of provision for that sin? May I call you to the place where God is renewing that story? Where whatever suffering you may have endured, God now wants to bring it into something beautiful and redeem it for the kingdom? May I call you to that beautiful place where we find Jesus dying for us, paying for those sins, and redeeming every second that is lived in this fallen world. Calling us to more. So we look to our King Jesus. But the end of all time, and Revelation says, oh behold, look around! Spiritual eyes. And see that I am making all things new. I call you there. And let us entrust our hearts to the King of all things providing for us in all ways so that we might see Him, taste Him, and trust Him. Let's pray. Father, we need You. In a moment like this, when we go, okay, that just flipped the tables of my heart. I don't know what to do with now this Jesus that came in and just went, whoop! I had it all ordered and situated. I had God in a box where He never, He never sends disaster on people. And then all of a sudden I got opened up to the Scriptures where now I go, whoa, whoa. But yet, oh Father, from a caring, providing, trusting heart do we know all these things come. Because You care for us. You love us. And you call us to a deep, abiding trust in your Son, Jesus. So Holy Spirit, help us abide in Jesus. Help us to remain in Him that we might bear fruit. Help us to realize that sometimes the vine dresser comes in and prunes us, which hurts. But oh, so that we might bear more fruit for the kingdom. And the mark of our maturity is that we would trust you to prune what exactly needs to be pruned. You're never going to get it wrong. You're never going to come in and cut off the branch that gives the rest of it life. So whatever we've been clinging to, whatever we've been holding to, whatever we've been looking for, for satisfaction or security or identity, strip it away. Scary prayer. Strip it away so we may find your son Jesus as king and sovereign over all things, caring for his people like a shepherd would a sheep. And help us to remember that no matter what evil we walk through, we need not fear. 
for you're with us. Help us in Christ's name. Amen.